outside in the street all night. Now, we learned on Sunday night that that was not even an option in Sodom uh, for them to stay in the street. That Sodom would say that it was not even uh, lawful to, to help the poor or to, uh, to lend any kind of help to, to people that might be in need. Um, verse number 3, the Bible says, And he pressed upon them greatly, because he knew they couldn't stay in the street. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, <clears throat> come past the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now, just in case you're here tonight and you've never heard this story, we learned Sunday that these two men, there were three that met with Abraham. One of those was, was, was without a shadow of a doubt, the Lord Jesus Christ, without a shadow of a doubt. Two of these were angels. <clears throat> Where three came to Abraham, only two came to Lot. And so these men that the Bible is referring to, of course, are angels. Uh, verse number 6 the Bible says, And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, talking about Lot, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand, talking about the angels. The men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. You may be seated tonight, and <clears throat> I'm just going to do my best to teach this this evening. And uh, I have a voice, but I don't have much of one, and so we're just going to do our best to, to work through this. But, man, I'm going to give you some things tonight that I really believe are going to be, uh, I believe they're going to be a help to you this evening, especially if you're here tonight and you're a parent or a grandparent or a parent-to-be. You say, well, preacher, we're never going to have kids. That'll probably change. That'll probably change. By the way, things don't always happen like you think they're going to happen. Uh, you may end up having more kids than you. You say, well, we're just having one. We're just having one. You may have, you may have 19. You never know. And so, um, but we've got a lot of, we got a lot of parents-to-be in here tonight. And so I want you to really get, give me a good hearing and we're going to talk about a lot of things uh, with Lot and his family. I'm not positive, positive. We're going to get it all done in September, but we're going to do our best. And so Sodom's pattern for parenting. Let's pray quickly. Father, we love you, and thank you for letting us be here tonight. And, Lord, thank you that we have this precious word of God, this spiritual guide that, <clears throat> that leads us and guides us in our day-to-day our -day life. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us and and Heavenly Father, the best that I know how, I plead the precious blood of Jesus over this service. 
over this pastor, this preacher, over this people. And Lord, I pray that you would bind the powers of darkness. And I pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would accomplish your perfect will in this place tonight. I do know this. I know that the enemy does not want this church and those watching by way of live stream to hear the message that you've given this pastor tonight. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would overcome. I pray that you would completely control the service and God, everything that's said and done, I pray would honor you and please you. And, and I pray that when we leave here in just a few minutes, God, I pray that we will have done our best to try to, to honor what you want us to do and to please you. And I pray that we'll go home changed. I pray we'll go home different. Lord, I pray you touch my voice tonight. And you've done that miraculously. And I thank you for that. And I pray that you'd give me the voice to get through this tonight. And I pray it'll be a help and a blessing. Help us now, we pray, Father. We, we pray that Christ receives glory from it all. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. Many of you were here Sunday. How many of you, how many of you after we preached Sunday morning, we preached about Lot, and Sunday night we preached about Lot, how many of you thought that the story on Sunday was pretty sordid? It really is, isn't it? I'm talking about these homosexual men trying to abuse the angels. That's what's going on. You'll notice in verse number 4, Genesis 19, verse 4, the Bible says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, come past the house round, both old and young, all the people from every court. I read that today, and I thought, wow, word travels fast. Word travels fast. They believe that Sodom was probably would be something like one of our metropolitan cities uh, a lot of people, they believe, lived, lived in Sodom. And the Bible says that people came from every quarter. And they called, verse 5 says, And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now, you study that out any way you want to study that out. But they were not wanting to, to, to have a, a personal acquaintance with these fellas. It's not what it's talking about at all. And, 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 and although there were some very liberal scholars that, uh, that want to debate that and say, well, you know, that's probably not what it's talking about. Well, if that's not what it's talking about, then why don't we have verse number 8? Because the story goes downhill from there. And we see Lot offering his virgin daughters to sodomites to make peace. Look at verse number 8. Lot says, behold now. He says to these sodomites, behold now, I have two daughters which had not known man. They've never been with a man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Man, oh man. Now, you know what I believe? You know what I believe? And I'm not going to bring this out tonight, but I believe this is definitely, this definitely may develop into another message down the road. But you know what I believe tonight with all my heart? I believe these girls heard what, what their daddy said. How many know this, that when something traumatic is going on around the house, kids have ears? <clears throat> and, 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 and especially back in this day and time, they didn't have, <clears throat> have four-bedroom homes back in this day and time. Usually, a lot of times, dwellings were a, were a one-room type dwelling, 
And so it wasn't like they, they had these girls back in the back bedroom somewhere, it's a four or five bedroom home. And uh, these girls knew that there was that there was dilemma. They knew that there were problems abounding, and uh, they knew that people were upset. And 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 when people get upset, teenagers have a, a tendency to listen. And and I believe that these girls, uh, as these men came uh, almost to the point of breaking the door down, I believe these teenage girls were. I believe they were listening. I believe that they they heard what was going on. And I honestly believe in my heart of hearts, I believe that they heard when their daddy said to these sodomites don't do anything to these men but I'll bring my two girls out and you do anything you want to do to them boy I'm thinking man I wonder what that did to those girls well how would you you know what what would you think if your if your dad said something like that this story is a very sordid story and then even after being smitten with blindness we notice these sodomites are still trying to find the door Look at verse 11. The Bible says, and they, talking about the angels, and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. (laughs) Now, I'm not positive about this, but if I read that, I, I believe you can read it this way, that it seems to say maybe that even after these men are smitten with blindness, they're still trying to find the door. Now, you say, Pastor, this is bad. This is one of the worst stories that you'll ever read in the Bible. And you and I would agree with you on that, but here's what I want to tell you tonight. It gets worse. You say, whoa, wait a minute. You mean it gets worse than what we've already preached about, what we've already read? It gets worse. And Lot's story ends, sadly, and these are the last, this is the last recording that we have of Lot, except in the New Testament, the book of Peter references Lot. But this is pretty much his swan song. And we find Lot committing incest with his two daughters. Now, I'm not preaching on this tonight, but I do want to say this, Calvary. Here's the moral of this story. The moral of the story is, is that we don't know what we're capable of doing if we consciously leave the will of God. Jeremiah 17, 9 says it like this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And Jeremiah said, who can know it? In other words, if you and I ever step outside the will of God, consciously step outside the will of God, knowing that we're doing it, knowing we're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but we go against that conviction and we step out of God's will, uh, for you to say, I would never do that, that's foolish. Because if you and I get away from the will of God, we really don't know what we're capable of doing. And so I just said that to say this. You know what we better do? Man, we better stay as close to the Lord as we can. I mean, just stay in church, stay in your Bible, stay on your knees. Just keep on loving God. Don't you ever get out. You say, well, no, there's no well. There's no excuse. You say, well, preacher, you know, so-and-so. No, there's no so-and-so. What you need to do is just say this. We're here. You've got us, God. We're not going anywhere. I'm not getting out of your will. I'm gonna, I, listen, come hell or high water, I'm going to keep on reading your Bible. I'm going to keep on praying. I'm going to keep on going to church because I want to make sure that I stay in the will of God because I see that God 
God has given us a story here that tells us that if we ever get away from the will of God, we're not, we're, we're not, uh, we don't know what we could do. By the way, I've, we've had people in this ministry through the years who've said, we've had people in this church who've stumbled. Some stumbled hard. Some fell out. And we've had other people who came up and said, I'll tell you one thing, I would never do that. That always terrifies me to hear people say that. What we had better say is, by the grace of God, I would never do that. I want us to look at this story tonight, and it is, it's a, a very sad story, but I want us to look at it tonight because I want, to, I want to pinpoint a verse on it. Look at Genesis 19, verse number 30. The Bible says, and Lot went out, and Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in the cave, he and his two daughters, verse number 31. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Now, watch what happens. <clears throat> Verse 32, come. Let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. In other words, he was so drunk that he didn't even understand what was going on. Uh, Verse number 34, and it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also. And go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger rose and lay with him, and he perceived not when she lay down nor when she arose Look at verse 36. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. Man, what a story. But I want to focus in tonight on verse number 31. The Bible says, And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. In other words, there's nobody left that we can marry. That's what they're saying. Now, I don't know what I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if I don't know if these girls, I don't know if they thought that that God had literally wiped the map clean. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But this is what they're saying. There's nobody left who we can marry who we can bear offspring with, who we can have an intimate relationship with. And as I read that verse the other day, this is the question that came to my mind. Why would these girls, the daughters of Lot, why would they say something like this, that there is no man, there's not a man in the earth to come in in unto us? Surely, these girls knew that there were more men outside of Sodom. And not just men, but some godly men. Some godly men who lived with their uncle Abraham, who was within traveling distance. By the way, uh, he lived in a place called Mamre, or right up around Hebron. And, uh, and it would have been a little bit of a travel, a little bit of a trip, but it, but, but it was doable. Uh, and I thought, that, I thought this, this thought, surely they knew when, when, when all these things, un, unha- these things happened, surely they knew that they had an uncle that walked with Jehovah. Surely they knew that they had an uncle that would help them in their time of need. 
Surely these young girls, probably 18, 19, 20 years old, surely they knew that, that there were several, actually several generations of young men who were not only young men, and some no doubt were handsome young men, but they were faithful to the Lord. In fact, our Bible says that Abraham had at least 318 trained servants born in his house. Not just, not, not just his family. And so I'm thinking, surely, surely these young ladies knew that we may have to travel just a little ways, but Uncle Abraham lives up in Hebron and, and he's got 318 servants and some of them are handsome and he's got boys and he's got sons and, 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 uh, and, and he, he's got, didn't have son, didn't have Isaac at that time, but he's got all these people living in his home, living in his village and, 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 and surely they knew, surely, surely they knew that Uncle Abraham, uh, about what Uncle Abraham had done for them in their past. Surely they, they heard the stories about when Uncle Abraham came down and saved Lot and his wife from the wicked kings of Sodom. We, we find that story later on. Surely these young ladies knew. Unless, maybe they didn't know. Is there at least a slight chance that their father Lot had never, ever mentioned his godly heritage. You know, again, I, I, maybe, this is a, maybe this is a little bit of speculation, but, but this young lady said, there's not another man to come in unto us. And I thought, wait a minute. There's a lot of men up in Hebron. You know about your uncle Abraham, don't you? You know about all these trained servants, don't you? And I'm thinking maybe their daddy never told them about how he grew up or who he grew up with. Did you know there's at least a chance that Uncle Abraham had never been brought up? That maybe he had never, he had never discussed Uncle Abraham. Uh, he never told his kids how he was an orphan and his daddy had died. And, and uh, boy, I wouldn't have anything if, if it wasn't for Uncle Abraham. And Uncle Abraham and Aunt Sarah, they took me in and, and they nurtured me and fed me and clothed me and cared for me and protected me and provided for me. And, and one of the reasons that I'm so blessed today and have so much is because Uncle Abraham gave me a good foundation. And, and I'm thinking if, if Lot would have shared all those things with his girls, then surely at this point they would have said, you know what, there's nobody here in Sodom left. There's nobody in Gomorrah left. We can't go back to Zohar, but I'll tell you what we can do. We can go to Hebron. We can go to Uncle Abraham. We can go live with that family. We can go be with them. There was a time when they helped mom and dad and bailed them out and helped them in their time of need, and I'm sure that Uncle Abraham will help us now in our time of need. Surely they knew, unless they didn't know unless maybe he did not tell them. And I'm going to think about this. When you're living under a spirit of conviction, you'll often do one of two things. When you're under conviction, first of all, you'll criticize the spiritual part of your life. Now follow me tonight. How many times have I heard this? Well, we'll knock on a door. How are you doing? We're from Calvary Baptist Church. We'd love for you to come. And I've had people say this. Well, I'll tell you one thing. My mom and dad made me go to church when I was little, and because of that, I hate the church. You ever think that maybe you don't hate the church because your mom and dad made you go? You hate the church because your lifestyle doesn't match the church. 
Because to be quite honest with you, my mom and dad made me go too. I had a drug problem when I was young. My mom and dad drugged me to every service. They drugged me to Sunday morning, drugged me to Sunday night, drugged me to Wednesday night, drugged me to Sunday school, drugged me to revival meetings. And to this day, I don't hate my mom and dad. I love my mom and dad. They're probably watching tonight. I'm thankful for the church that I attended. I'm thankful for the pastor that I had. I'm thankful that I had a mom and a dad who, when I didn't have the wisdom to know what to do, thank God I had a mom and dad who made me do what was right to do. And uh, But I'm just saying this, when you're under conviction, what you do is you'll start criticizing the spiritual part of your life. Well, uh, preacher, you see, I would go to church, but there were some Christians in the church who were hypocritical. And can we just get, can we just, can we just finally get past that and, uh, and just understand something that it don't matter what church you go to, there's going to be some hypocrites. Well, we're not going to Calvary. Where are you going to go? We're going down the road. I got news for you. The hypocrites live down there too. Well, you say, Pastor, we're, we're leaving the Baptist church. Where are you going to go? Well, we're going to the Lutheran church. I got news for you. There's hypocrites in the Lutheran church too. And there's hypocrites everywhere you go. And people say, well, we're not going to go to the church because there's a bunch of hypocrites down there. Has it ever occurred to anybody that maybe you're not going to church, not because there's not hypocrites, but because your lifestyle's not lining up with the will of God. And when your lifestyle doesn't line up with the will of God, you often try to, you often try to criticize that spiritual part of your life. But there's another thing. When you're under conviction, you'll try to forget the spiritual part of your life. Now hold your finger there at Genesis chapter 19 because we're going right back there. And I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms with me. Psalms chapter number 14. I want to just teach you a little lesson here real quickly. Psalm chapter 14. Then we're going to jump into this and we're going to try to get you out of here at the same time as we always do, God willing. And so, uh, But look at Psalm chapter 14. And verse number one, Psalm chapter 14 and verse number one, when you're under conviction, you'll often try to forget the spiritual part of your life. Psalm chapter 14, verse number one says it like this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So you know what that's talking about? It's talking about the atheist or the person who claims to be atheist. That same atheist will say, oh, my God. That same atheist, when gets in a bad way, will say, oh, God, help us. Someone says, preacher, why are there people who, who deny that God exists? Well, the Bible tells us right here. Look what it says, Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Look what it says. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. In other words, these people have got things in their life that they don't want to have to answer for. They know they're not right. They know that they know their life is not in accordance with the will of God. And, and, and they, they, they know that. And so to... To, to get by that, what they say is this, there, there's not a God. And if there's not a God, I don't have to answer to him. And 
uh, you can't judge me. There's not a God. I don't have to answer anything to God. And, 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 and I want to tell you, in, in, in love tonight, you can say that every single day of your life if you want to. But there is a God, and we are going to stand before him. We are going to bow before him. Uh, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. And we will stand before God. There is a God. And so the best thing to do is not to say there's not a God. The best thing to do is say, you know what? There is a God. And God, my life's not where it needs to be. And I want you to forgive me. And I want you to, I want you to help me get right with you. And I want to live for you. And, uh, and so I'm thinking maybe, just maybe, that's where Lot is. Maybe Lot, who the Bible says in the book of Peter that he's a righteous man. He vexed his soul, uh, uh, his righteous soul. Maybe what's going on in this story is that Lot is under such conviction. Maybe they didn't know. Well, you know Uncle Abraham. Well, you heard the story about when Uncle Abraham came down with his 318 trained servants and saved your mom and dad. No. Well, you know that big group that lives up there in Hebron, you. No. Maybe it was that Lot never mentioned any of those things. Hey, can I give you some fast thoughts? Well, man, where does time go? Number one. I wrote this down. Is there a chance, first of all, that Lot never mentioned his prior upbringing? He never mentioned his prior upbringing. Now, I said this Sunday, we see a contrast in Genesis 18 Genesis 19. In Abraham, we see that contrast. In Abraham, we see a father that includes his children in spiritual matters. And not just his children, but all those in his home. Now turn over to Genesis, you're in Genesis 19, turn over to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22, and look at verse number, verse number three. Boy, I hope you're following me. I hope I'm not losing you tonight. Genesis chapter 22 and verse number three. Now notice Abraham here. The Bible says in Genesis 22, verse number three, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass, and look at this, look at this, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, so, so two of those 318 trained servants he takes two of these young men with him and not only does he take those two servants but he takes Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him of. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off and Abraham said unto his young men abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad talking about Isaac and I and the lad will go yonder and what are they going to do? Wow. They're going to worship. And come again to you, verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here my son, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, uh, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, wait a minute, Calvary. You know what that tells me already? Isaac knows what it means to do a burnt offering. He knows what it means to sacrifice to Jehovah. And so, look what it says in verse number eight. And Abraham said, my son, God, will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now, my point is this, that Abraham included not only Isaac and Ishmael. If I have time, I'll show you that in just a moment. He not only included those in, uh, in his service to the Lord, but he included his servants in, in his service to the Lord. They were able to see their dad had a spiritual legacy. You see where I'm heading with that? 
In other words, this is, this is what I'm saying. Abraham did not keep his righteousness a secret. So if you were to say to some of, to, to Isaac or, or even to Ishmael, or if you were to say to one of, uh, one of Abraham's trained servants, have you ever heard of Jehovah? They would say, well, of course. Have you ever seen someone do a burnt offering? <laughs> Are you kidding? Of course I have. I've seen Abraham build an altar many times. We've saw him walk with God. He did it in front of us so we could see it. But, but wait a minute, in Lot, we see nothing of the sort. Now, again, I'm really having to rush to get through this tonight, but I want to tell you some parents, don't keep your Christianity a secret. Talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am. The truth, the light, the door. Let's talk about Jesus more and more. Listen, talk about the Lord and talk about the Bible and talk about church and talk about Jesus and talk about the cross and, and talk about the choir and talk about Sunday school and talk about devotions and talk about reading your Bible and talk about spending time in prayer and talk about these things in front of your kids. And don't be ashamed. Monday, Monday evening, I was outside. I was washing some vehicles. And my phone rang. I had my phone in my pocket. My phone started vibrating. I pulled it out. It was Michael Lester. I said, hello. He said, preacher, and I knew. In fact, I think, First words out of my mouth. I said, Mike's everything all right? I knew it wasn't. I knew it wasn't. I could hear Angie crying on the other end. And he said, preacher, he said, Angie's daddy just fell over dead with a heart attack. By the way, they have having his funeral tomorrow. And so please pray for Miss Angie and pray for her mother and pray for her family and lift them up. And he said, we need prayer. Man, I was out there washing those vehicles. It was hot and humid. I was sweating. Had my hat on, sweat dripping off the bill of my hat. When I got off the phone with Mike, I just took my hat off and I stopped what I was doing and I prayed. Little Adrian was out there with me. He saw me stop. He saw me take my hat off. He said, Papa, Papa. What you doing, Papa? I said, I'm praying, buddy. I'm saying a prayer. I said, Miss Angie's daddy died. And I said, Papa's praying. Hey, listen. <laughs> Don't be afraid to talk to your kids like that. Daddy, what were you doing? I was praying. Daddy, what were you doing? I was reading my Bible. And it's unfortunate that in Lot's life, we see nothing of that. Lot was raised by a faithful family, a righteous family, a family that took him in, a family that nurtured him and raised him right, and yet we never find a place where Lot is sharing that legacy with his children. Now, can I just, can I take, can I take just a minute and can I just share with you my spiritual legacy? How about this? First of all, I was reared by parents 
that expected absolute obedience. <laughs> now I want you to understand something like that. My parents never, with a capital N, my parents never abused us. I have the greatest relationship with my mom and dad today. Uh, my mom and dad are up in their 80s, and we have a tremendous relationship, and I love them, and they love me, and I hugged my little mama this week so tight, and uh, at least tight as I could without hurting her, and, and, uh, and we have a, a close relationship. But, but I grew up in a home where mom and dad expected obedience. And if we did not ad- adhere to that, we got a verbal rebuke. But that was only first base. And if we did not listen to that verbal rebuke, we got something else. We got corporal punishment. And I'll just put it like this. The pain of the punishment was worse than the pleasure of the crime. Do I need to say that one again? The pain of the punishment was worse than the pleasure of the crime. My parents taught us how to act in church. My parents taught us to be respectful of others. My parents taught us how to talk. We didn't go up to our older folks in the church like Brother Mike back here when we were kids and say, yeah, nah. No, we were taught to show respect to our older folks. By the way, we ought to get back to that. And I know this preaching is different. I know this preaching is old, old school and old-fashioned, but I'm just ruined, and I'm planning on staying there the rest of my life, and I ain't planning on changing. And if God builds a great big church here, hallelujah, but if we just have my four and no more, we're going to preach what I believe the Bible teaches, and I'm thankful that I had a mom and a dad that told me, you respect your elders, you talk to them right, you live a certain way, you have a certain standard. They taught us how to talk, and I'll tell you something else, they taught us how to dress. There was a few times when I would walk out and I would walk out with something just, I don't know what you call it. I, I mean, I had, still to this day, my wife can tell you, still to this day, a lot of times I just don't throw stuff away. Sometimes a, a, a shoe gets a hole in it, I don't throw it away, man. That thing, it works. You know, when you're mowing the grass or weed eating, it just works. It don't really matter if that one toe sticks out, does it? Amen. And I had some shoes like that. And I remember, we, I remember we were going somewhere and, and I put those shoes on and we were walking out the door and my dad said, you're not going out in that. You're not going out in that. You go back and change. You said, that's terrible. No, that's wonderful. No, that's wonderful. Thank God I had a, a, a mom and a dad who taught me right. I'll tell you something else. I was taught not only by, or reared by parents, but number two, I was taught by patriots. I was taught by people who weren't ashamed of America and who were, who were not ashamed of God. <laughs> and, I, and I went to public school all my life, except one year of my life I went to Christian school, and all the rest of it I went to public school And every single morning in a public school classroom, we started the day out 
by standing, by rising. And by the way, nobody had a choice back then. And, 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 and furthermore, nobody wanted a choice back then. And we all stood up beside the desk and we looked at the flag and we saluted and we did the pledge to the flag and then a public school teacher would lead the class in public prayer. You say, Pastor, I don't agree with that. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing, America? I don't agree with that. That's wrong. I don't agree with that. How you doing, America? Didn't have to worry about metal detectors and drug dogs and resource officers and, and uh, armed guards on the, uh, on the campus back then. We just, you know what, we just had a good old time uh, back then in the public school and you didn't have to worry about uh, all those kind of things. And, and now we think we're doing so much better. And brother, what it is, we're doing so much worse. And we have, we have, we have kicked God out. And now we are, we are headed to hell in a handbasket. And, and man, thank God that I had some patriots who told me to love God. And, and told me to love my country. I know this is Wednesday night. But last time I checked, last time I checked, there's not any fences holding people in. They're holding all the thousands and thousands and thousands that would love to get in. As for all those people who say, I just hate America, I hate America. Well, bro, Get you a ticket, a first class ticket, and go anywhere you want to go. I mean, take off to Venezuela, go on down to Cuba. I mean, do whatever you want to do, but if you don't like America, leave America. I was reared by parents, I was taught by patriots. I'll tell you something else, I was influenced by preachers. Men who had a heart for God. Men who had a zeal for the Lord. Men who preached like this. Men who looked like preachers. Men who lived like preachers. Uh, and by the way, uh, parents, let me, just, let me just encourage us tonight. Be careful who you allow your kids to emulate. You know, it, it, it might be, you might be better off if you are very careful about the heroes that you set up in front of your children. And so Lot never mentioned his prior upbringing. It's 831. Will you give me just a little bit of grace? How about this? Number, number two, Lot never mentioned his previous rescue. Now, turn over real quickly to Genesis chapter 14. I'll show you this quickly tonight. Genesis chapter 14 and verse number 10 records that story. Now, this is before... Uh, we've been camping out in Genesis 18, 19. This is well before that. Uh, Lot and his wife were much younger. I'm not even so sure they have children at this point. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, verse number 10. And the veil uh, of Siddim was full of slime pits. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they, and they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. In other words, in other words, some wicked kings came into Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot and his family lived, his wife, him and his wife lived, and they besieged this city. Verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and, and departed. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel, 
and Brother Vayner, and these were confederate with Abram. In other words, there was a man that escaped. Man, he hasted up to Hebron, up to Mamre. He came to Abraham. He said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, they've taken over Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, they, they've taken Lot and his wife. They've taken them captive. Look what happened. Number 14. And when Abram heard that his brother, isn't that interesting? Is really his nephew. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them and his servants by night, huh, guerrilla warfare right here, brother, and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And verse 16, and he brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. And so what our Bible is saying there is this, that Abraham rescued Lot. But it looks to me like, it looks to me like that Lot never mentioned that. Not one time did he sit his girls down and say, let me tell you the story of how these wicked kings came that took over the city. They took your mom and I captive and they took all of our belongings and we had to go to this camp and uh, this concentration camp and we didn't have a prayer. We didn't have, we didn't have any hope at all. And Uncle Abraham came to our rescue and, and he bailed us out and he, and he rescued us. But we find nowhere in scripture where Lot ever told that story to his children. You say, preacher, important? Let me ask you something. How often do you tell your children about your rescue? How often do you sit your children down and say, let me tell you about the day I got saved? Hey, kids, everybody come on in here. Come on. Nope, turn TV off. Come on. Nope. Nope, leave the electronic games in there. Everybody come on in here. Come on. Everybody gather around. Everybody gather around. Daddy's going to get the Bible. We're going to have family altar. And kids, tonight, I want to tell you about the day that your mom and I got rescued. And tell them. It was in revival. It was a Tuesday night revival. It was a Sunday night after the service. A soul winner came by our house and knocked on the door and somebody gave us the gospel track and, and the spirit of God began to convict our heart and, and, uh, and we let Jesus come in and Jesus saved us and we're not on our way to hell anymore. We're on our way to heaven now. And Happy day, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. And Hey kids, I just want to tell you, man, it was a great day when Jesus rescued us. And by the way, Calvary, it was a great day when Jesus rescued you. Don't ever get over that day. Man, I want to tell you what, he had to reach way down and take me out of the slime pit. And thank God he put my feet on a solid rock and established my going. Hey, I want to praise him forever. And tell your kids about the day he rescued you. You will say, Pastor, I don't have a story to tell. Okay, you can start yours tonight. You say, Pastor, I... If I got all my kids together and I said, I want to tell you about the day that Jesus rescued us. He said, Preacher, I don't, I, don't, I, I, I don't remember a day like that. I can't go back to a story like that, okay? Guess what? Your story can start tonight. And one of these days you can sit your kids in and you can say, yes, on Wednesday night. And the preacher was preaching on Sodom's pattern for parenting. And I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. And he changed my life. 
He saved my soul. We're done tonight. And we find nothing that says that Lot ever mentioned his prior upbringing or his previous rescue, and we're done. But how about this? It looks like Lot never mentioned the Prince of Peace. Now, Abraham is a contrast. Genesis 17, we're over time. I won't, I won't take the time to do that tonight. But we find here in Genesis chapter 17 that Abraham taught every member of his household, every member of his household, not just Isaac and not just Ishmael, but he taught every member of his household that God was worthy of obedience and worship. Now, I'm done tonight. Let me end with a little testimony. I'm glad I had a dad. And I know, I know, and I know this. I know that not all of you did. You say, preacher, my testimony is not like yours. I didn't have a dad that taught me the Bible. Okay. You say, preacher, you, just, you, you had it so good. You see, my daddy was an alcoholic. Okay, I, I get it. You say, preacher, my dad never gave me that. I get it. But could you do this? Could you reverse the tables and give it to your kids? Okay, okay, you never had it. Can you give it to your kids? Just because you never had it doesn't mean you have to drag your kids through it. You say, Pastor, I came up through the sewer. I get it. And by the way, my heart goes out to you. But that doesn't mean you have to drag your kids through the sewer. I'm glad I had a dad who, who taught me that our God is worthy of obedience and worship. I mowed the, church for our, I mowed the yard for our church when I was a teenager maybe even preteen. I'd ride my 10-speed bike up to the church and I'd get the lawnmower out and I'd mow the church. And we had a big yard, man. It was big. Big softball field. I kept all that mowed. They paid me $10 a week. $10 a week. And it never failed. Whenever the church would give me my check, $10 a week, my dad would say, now, son, don't forget. Part of that's God's. And he would say, you be sure that you give God what's his. And if you'll give God what's his, God will always take care of you. I can remember my dad saying that time and time and time again. You know what he was doing? He was teaching me that my God is worthy of obedience and worship. I thought about this. We would have family work days around our church. You say, what's a family work day? <laughs> it was just family. It's just me and dad and Billy. Dad, we'd get up on Saturday morning. Dad throw the tailgate down that old Ford Ranger pickup truck. He load up all the tools we had: weed ears, rakes. Uh, I don't think they had blowers back then, but uh, I was the blower, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And and uh, but everything we did have, he'd load it up in the back of the truck, and and we'd go up to the to the church, and and I'd say, "We haven't worked day to day." Said, yep. Okay. Who all's coming? You. And me and your brother. Who else? That's it. And we'd go up to the church and we'd weed eat and then we'd sweep and we'd make sure the trees were trimmed and make sure that everything looked nice. You know what dad was doing? Dad was teaching me that our God is worthy of obedience and worship. Whenever we would start the day, we always started with prayer. We usually rode the school bus. But every once in a while, Dad would take us on his way to work. Dad would take us to school. 
And it never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, ever, ever failed. We got in that Ford Ranger pickup truck and dad would say, let's pray. Let's pray. When all seven of us would get in that sedan, there was no such thing as a minivan. And we get that sedan on Sunday morning and go to the house of the Lord. It never, ever, ever, never, never, ever, 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 never, ever, 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 ever failed. When we all got in, dad would say, let's pray. Let's pray for the preacher. Let's pray for the Sunday school classes. Let's pray for the teachers. Let's pray. And by the way, he would call on one of us to pray. He would say, Billy, you pray for us today. Kathy, you pray for us today. You know what my dad was doing? He was teaching me that our God is worthy of obedience and worship. I understand that you did, maybe some of you didn't have that. But could you give it to your kids? And then we've got tonight, we've got some grandparents in here. Boy, aren't grandkids fun? Man, if I'd have known they were that much fun, I'd have had them first. Amen? But let me tell you, one of the reasons that Timothy turned out for God, Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were sold out to God. And Paul said, you have an unfeigned faith, Timothy. But he said it was first in your mother and your grandmother. And they passed it on to you. Hey, grandparents, I know it's limited. I know you have to be very careful. I know you have to tread very carefully. But grandparents, do your best to pour Jesus into your grandkids. You may be the only hope that they may have. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for this time we've had together tonight. Lord, help us to have godly homes. I believe there's a reason that you put this story in the Bible. Lord, you have popped the top off this home in Genesis chapter 19, Lot's house. And all these years later, Lord, you allow us to look down inside and you, you allow us to see their mistakes you allow us to see the problems and the issues. And Lord, without a shadow of any doubt, the reason you've done that is because you want us to steer clear of these mistakes. Tonight, Heavenly Father, would you give us godly homes, not only at Calvary, but in America. Father, call the home back to you again. Father, maybe there's a family here tonight that's not having a family altar. And tonight, that's about to change. Maybe you'd lay it upon the heart of a dad that's here tonight to say, you know what, honey, from now on, we're at least going to take a few minutes every night. We're going to turn the television off. We're turning the music off. And we're just going to read a few verses of the Bible. Or we're going to tell a Bible story. Or we're going to ask if the kids have prayer requests. And we're going to pray together as a family. Father, maybe there's someone here tonight who has never told their kids about their rescue the day that they were saved. But tonight that's about to change. Thank you, Lord, for touching us. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Can I ask this tonight? Nobody's looking just for a moment. I wonder how many are here tonight would say, Pastor, 
if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know, preacher, I know that I'm saved and going to heaven when I die without anybody looking. You just slip your hand up and say, here's my testimony to that. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Can I ask a second question? Is there anyone here tonight? And I promise you this. I promise you I won't embarrass you. I've been here 30 years now. I've never went back and tried to drag someone down an aisle. Never, never. But I have prayed for a lot of folk. How many here tonight would say, Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure about heaven, but I'm sure I want to go. Pastor, I, I know of Jesus, but I'm not sure that I know him as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want you to pray for me. You slip your hand up right now and just let me breathe a prayer for you. Would you raise your hand right now? Pastor, it's me. I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? You'd slip your hand up. Is there one like that here tonight? Pastor, remember me. I see that hand. Is there another? Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you remember me? Would you remember me? You'd lift your hand right now. Let me pray for you. Come on. Can I do that? Can I pray for you? Let's all stand around the house tonight, if you will. You've been such good listeners. Father, I pray that you'll bless on this invitation. Lord, I, I pray that I didn't say anything that I shouldn't have said. If I did, I want you to forgive me. But I pray that everything I said was in accordance to your will. Father, I, I do know this, and I believe there's definitely... There's definitely common ground that we can agree on, and that's this, that the enemy's after our homes. Lord, the devil is after our homes. He wants to destroy our families. And so, Lord, I pray tonight that you'd give us some moms and dads who would declare war on the enemy and say, you're not getting my kids. You're not getting mine, not by the grace of God. Father, have your way in this invitation. I pray that you'd save those that are lost. I thank you for this hand that was raised. I pray even now that, Lord, that you would save them and just have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm gonna make my way to the main floor just for a moment. And if you're here tonight and say, Pastor, I am not sure that Christ is my Savior. I'd like you to come. And we want to just take the Word of God and show you how you can know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die, okay? And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, we'll sing in a minute, baby. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you need to come, it could be that you're here tonight you say, Pastor, I am saved, but I need prayer. Man, I need somebody to pray with me. Would you come? And we'll be glad to pray with you tonight. Would you come tonight? Hey, Dad, whether you're in the altar or not, would you at least breathe a prayer to the Lord right now and say something like this, Lord, by your grace and with your help, I'm going to have a godly home. I'm going to lead my family in the way of righteousness. Would you breathe a prayer like that to the Lord tonight?
promise you something. I'll never prolong an invitation just to prolong an invitation. Sometimes the Lord prolongs one for a specific reason. And so we're going to pause just for another moment, all right? We're going to let you go. We, we, listen, we don't, hardly ever, we don't hardly ever go this late on a Wednesday night. I've took more time than I normally take on a Wednesday night. I'll confess that to you, and I apologize. But if you're here tonight and you have a need and the Lord is dealing with your heart, listen, why don't you come right now? Would you come? We'd love to pray with you. Boy, I'm, and I said this on, um, I think I said this on Countdown to Courage today. I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of a spiritual hospital where people are helped and encouraged, lifted up. And so we're rooting for you tonight. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? of it. Let's sing it together tonight. Ready? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. so much for being here tonight. Hey, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close in prayer.